You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, Real Estate Runway family. Today, we're going to have a very special guest on the show, Mr. Dan Lazar. He is actually a developer in Melbourne, Australia. So I'm really excited about this because I love talking about real estate in other countries and I love talking about development. This will be the first time we've had a developer on the show to really talk about his experience with ground up construction, what you should be looking for if you're investing in it, and really just how deals get put together, some pits and downfalls he's had along the way. So without further ado, let's get right into it. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. Dan Lazar, welcome to the show. Man, we have had some technical difficulties to get to this point, but I think we finally made it. Welcome, dude. Thank you, Chad. Thank you for the invitation. This is very exciting. Absolutely. Well, guys, guys and girls and gals listening to this show, Dan is coming to us from Australia. So we have had a little bit of connectivity problems, but you know, this is going to work. It's going to be a great show. So Dan, Tell me about yourself. You were a you were a developer out in the Australian area. So so tell me about how that came to be and a little bit about what you're doing, and then we'll get into the episode. Yeah, so I, I'm a property developer uh, in Melbourne, Australia. We develop property next to nature. We're just finalizing our first development, which was a, a river scraper. We the development is meters away from the Yarra River, the main river in Melbourne. We're just getting ready to develop a park scraper which is a, a five townhouse development next to next to a park. So it has a creek in the back, a park in front. So I, I just developed property that I uh, per, I'm personally passionate about potentially moving in and because uh, it's a lot more resilient in, in the market, I guess. That really makes the product project fun, I would assume, right? It's, it's a lot of fun. I, 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 I truly feel that the locations that we do are usually the best or the top three locations within a suburb. Yeah, very good. So walk me back a little bit. How did you become a developer and what motivated you to go into that profession? It's a, it's a good question. Look, I, I, I've been an entrepreneur all of my life. So last last day of university, I started uh, my first business, which, which was a tennis academy, which was great. However, I feel like it was not grow, helping me grow towards my, my dreams as fast as I was hoping. Uh, and at some point, I just uh, was lucky enough to meet probably the biggest property developer in Romania. We started playing tennis together. He was inspiring me with his stories. So then I said, you know what? After I sell my business, I'll go into property development. And this is what I've done. Yeah, that's very good. So w- what about what he was telling you inspired you to become a developer? I mean, you, it sounds like you went from basically a professional tennis player or at least one that teaches how to be a great tennis player and having a a business around that to, hey, I'm going to go build real estate. So what, what inspired you about it? Look, he, he, he was telling, tell, first of all, in our first meeting, I, I sort of sort of helped, helped him without with an introduction, without even knowing who he was. And at the end of the meeting, he goes, oh, this is my skyscraper. This is my skyscraper. So he was, he's huge in Romania. And I have no idea who he was. I just overheard the conversation. He was asking somebody if they know who owns a piece of a piece of land. And I, I overheard the conversation even said, oh, sorry, sorry that I was listening to your conversation. I know who the owner is. Maybe I can help with an introduction. Uh, so yeah, it was everything by chance. And then, I don't know, he was telling me, oh, I don't know, 
some numbers around his profit compared to the to the revenues uh, how he was dealing with certain situation challenges that he had that in in my eyes were like end of world challenges and okay this is how i go on about it this is how maybe i don't know the the mayor of the city didn't like that he was doing a development somewhere and how he was going on about finding out the solution how, how he was i don't know going against him in justice and so on Wow. So you really resonated with the types of problems that you get to solve in this realm and, and kind of, I guess, by way of meeting this mentor, if you will, of, of seeing how he carried himself and what you thought would be life ending situations or life altering situations that he handled day to day. Yeah, it, it's amazing. I feel like in development, the density of problems that you need, you, you have to deal with is out of what I've experienced with two other businesses that did quite well. So I feel like every day there's challenges that you need to be on top of them. Otherwise, they're, they're like going to really affect your bottom line in some shape or form, either delay the process or, uh, I don't know, have a cost overrun and this and that. So I totally understand that. I mean, we, we have similar challenges, not quite to the level of ground up development. I mean, there's a lot of ways that things can go sideways before you get something built you know, which I feel like we're starting with assets that are already in the ground. We are right. So anyway, I digress. But so thanks for that story of kind of how you got into this. And, and you've, you've mentioned, you know, that y'all have just finished you know, your first uh, project and you have a couple more projects in the pipeline. How does since you've recently done this, I don't have a lot of true ground up developers on the show, Dan. So you're, you're one of the first. Let me pick your brain a little bit. How does one begin to start a business in development? I mean, what, what, what kind of things do you have to put in place? What are you looking at? Let's just kind of start. Like if you can walk back to your first project that you were putting together, how did you get going in this? That's a, that's a good question. Look, it's first of all, I, I educated myself for a year. So there is somebody that I signed up for his course. Basically for, for a year, he was handing my holding my hand to help me do my first development. He was guiding me, looking at feasibilities before I was making an offer, reviewing that before I was going unconditionally, reviewing that. So it, it, he was an amazing, amazing help in navigating the uncertainty in the, in the beginning. Secondly, I probably looked at roughly 500 deals. I've done 500 feasibilities before I secured my first one. And the, the biggest reason here is I, I, I truly put all of my money into it. There's, there's not one cent that I did not put into this deal. And even, even though I, I put a lot of money, I still had to borrow a lot of money from, from a lot of other people. So I feel like the, I, I, I was feeling the weight of the, how important it is to get these results through. Uh, so that's why I did I did an amazing amount of homework. Let's say for each line of cost, if people usually get I don't know three five quotes, we were getting ten quotes. For um, I was not speaking to one private lender. I was I was speaking to thirty private lenders. So I really I, I I sort of told myself, look, if for some reason if this fails, it will not be for for lack of effort. Yeah, it's very good. And I mean, a couple of things you mentioned there, I think other episodes that I've recorded on, on the note of how to get going in something. One of them is you can learn in one of two ways. One is the school of hard knocks, for lack of a better term, where you just figure it out and hope you don't fail, right? The problem is when you're in real estate, especially development, the things you don't know can kill you and, and absolutely end you before you get started. So having a, a mentor who you invested in, who is then investing in you, you know, that, that probably made your first success. I mean, cause you might've done any one of those first 500 that you decided didn't pass feasibility, 
not knowing any better, right? So having a mentor absolutely was was part of the magic there, it sounds like, yeah? I, I 100% agree. So I at the point when I signed up for his course, which was roughly 15% of all of the money that I had at that point, I guess a lot of people would potentially say, oh, you're a bit crazy. Why would you spend this amount of money on, I guess, educating yourself? However, now looking forward, if it were not for him, I would have started definitely two deals that I gave up due to his advice that one of them was probably losing money and the other one was making little to no money. So then I'm asking myself sometimes, what was the return? I feel like the return the return on, on the amount that I invested was over 10x just because I said no to a number of deals that I would have, would have, would have said yes to. Absolutely. And I, I share a similar sentiment. I mean, I go back to one of my first deals that I would have done had I not been guided otherwise, I would have made a $4 million mistake that my little, you know, 30 or 40,000 I paid in mentorship costs would, would have, you know, paled in comparison to. So very, very good. And so, okay, you get into your first deal here, your, your first development. Let, let's kind of walk through that deal a little bit. You know, what went well, what didn't go well? You know, you know what did you learn? And, and let's kind of let's go through how that deal took form. I would say, I'd probably say that nothing went according to plan. So every step of the way we had challenges. However, one thing was probably one thing went better than what we anticipated was the sales side. But that is 50% due to the how, how the market grew and 50% due to the amazing quality of our location. So I can't, I guess there's two things that I would emphasize here. If you think of doing development, number one, make sure that you pay under market prices just so you have more room into your bottom line. I'll give you an example. The second property that we acquired, we probably acquired a 32% under market and the offers that I'm making currently are at around 50%. So then I might end up at 40% on the market. And I guess, secondly, definitely make sure that you have the right terms. I would not be able to, I would not have, have been able to do both of these two deals if I would not, would not have had the right terms. And specifically in the first one was a 5% down payment and a six months delayed settlement. And in the, the second one was a 1% down payment and a nine months delayed settlement. So this enabled me to finish the first one into before I jump into the second one, but make sure that when I finish the second one, I have another one that is shovel ready. Yeah, very good. So it seems like timing is everything in uh, in stringing some of these development deals together. Definitely, definitely. And also just going back to your, your question. So from funding it two weeks prior to doing the settlement on the property, two lenders gave up on us and I, I was only going forward with them. So somebody, I, I had to make a lot of phone calls. Somebody came through last minute to the construction process. A lot of people say a lot of things in construction and don't deliver. So you need to be a killer with your contracts. You need to have very strong contracts and make sure that it's very clear when you're starting, when you're finishing the job, what happens if you don't finish the job, which is 80% of the time to have some liquidity damages or something like this to make sure that your interests are aligned. You don't go in, bis in, in business with somebody thinking that they'll do this job and they, they're planning to do another job or they're planning to finish in three months, not in one month. I guess, I guess what's, what's communi communicating to you. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty, a pretty important part of the process because it, it, in development, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are less in control than you'd like to be. You're having to really hire the right people and the right tradesmen, the right contractors in place. So, so what are some tips you can provide on how to structure airtight contracts with these individuals and, and you know, make sure that your interests are aligned? 
I can tell you what, what we've done. So we uh, we got a lawyer to draft like a 15-page agreement that we signed with we actually signed with absolutely everybody. And then I made it easy to sign this contract. I just put most of the things that have to be completed in the signatures on the first page. So then you don't have to go through 15 pages. You just read the first one, briefly read the other ones and, and sign it. And I guess liquidated damages to, to, to make sure that you have a clawback clause in case they... Say they're going to finish in a month and they finish in two months and that just cost you $40,000 in holding costs to make sure that you are able to retain part of what you have to pay them to make sure that you, because you, you can only do that if you have clear start and, and end dates. And secondly, to make sure that they're doing everything as per Australian regulation, because if they are saying that they're, I don't know, certified, uh, I don't know, carpenter or whatever, but they their mom gave them the license to make sure that, again, you have power to say, you know what, I can't pay you the last 10K because I had to redo the job that was not done according to Australian regulations. That's good. So really what I'm hearing is incentivize them to do it right the first time and per regulation so that you don't... Align our interests. That's it, I guess. Their interest is to get as much money as they can from you. And my interest is to get the job done. So by having the contract, I just increase my chances of him delivering what I need and the reason why I engaged him. Yeah, very good. So, so tell me about, you know, some of the bigger challenges you had on, on this development. I mean, did the city fully agree with everything you were doing or where did you find challenges along the way? I love hearing about how you overcome them. As I said, we probably had hundreds of challenges. I'll probably stick to three. Let's, let's say with, with funding, yeah, we, we had two lenders that sort of said, look, you're 99% across the line. Stop talking to anybody else. We're 100% outline, 99% going to find your fund your your deal. And two weeks prior to settlement, they sort of changed their mind due to 50% valid reasons and 50% I don't know what what whatever reasons. A lot of people are scared to fund a developer's first deal, so you need to bear, bear this in mind as well. And I guess here the the main thing. Just imagine I I was at a point where. I probably already spent like 300k on improving the getting the permits, getting the building permit, whatever. And I'm at the point where if the vendor is not agreeing to push the settlement date, I they can just decide to not sell me the property anymore. Anymore, and I lost already lost 300k. So it was a very tough spot that I'm. I sort of feel lucky that somebody stepped in and and helped us. Obviously, at one to two percent more expensive than so. He, he probably made it worth his while as well, but yeah, that, that was that was the main one. And then I guess altogether construction, construction in its itself, it's uh, it's full of challenges from I don't know the uh, underground plumbing to to the uh, the demolishing process. Somebody said, okay, I agree to this amount. Please pay me a deposit. You pay a deposit. They say, oh, sorry, I can't do it on those dates. I can do it three months from now on. What do you do? Do you sue somebody for five k? Maybe you spend 10K on your lawyer. So that, that's another thing. Never pay deposit. If somebody asks for a deposit, that, that probably is a red flag in itself that they are not very confident that they'll do a good job or they'll, they'll do right by you. So if you can, avoid at any cost to pay a deposit. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. And so that's very interesting. Okay, so if we're, and do this for me. I don't think our audience always understands the magnitude of what a development project really is. So if, if you can just kind of, so you, we've talked about, you find the land, you tie the land up, you go get a loan to buy the land and the construction costs. But once you actually 
you know, even before you break ground, what's the, what is kind of the development process end to end? So, I mean, I, th- I think everyone knows you, you break ground and you start building, but there's things that happen before that, you know, and a lot of money spent and committed before you ever see a physical product, right? So, can we just walk through that real quick? Yeah. yeah. Look, look. So, I guess in, in our in our context, it started by analyzing 500 deals and educating myself. Secondly. I found a deal. I negotiated for maybe maybe a month. I secured it with a five percent deposit and a six months delayed settlement. So the five percent deposit allowed me to use my own money to secure the property, while the six month delayed settlement allowed me to improve the existing permit. So I'm only targeting properties that have an existing permit. However, even even though it has a permit, which usually takes a year. Probably there's another six months that you need to do construction documentation, building permit to get your loans together, to get the right team together. Maybe the lender says, oh, I'm not happy with this builder. You need to find another one. So it's a, it's it's probably six months of, of uh, that, that are quite stressful to a certain degree. And then you go into construction and then into construction every step of the way for us with our first one was a tiny bit different or a lot different than what we uh, than what we anticipated. And then it's all, I guess, I guess the, the sales component. If you want to finance with a with a bank, which was not possible for the first deal, you probably need to have pre-sales. And then getting pre-sales, that, that means you need to put a lot of collateral together, renders, virtual tours, so to, to sort of sell the people buying it on how it will look at the end. So one, one thing that we're heavily leveraging is we're always creating a virtual tour for the uh, development. So people can get a look and feel even though the, the property is not there or it's a, a year from being delivered. So that's that's probably a, a very interesting artifact of residential development or, or of condo development is that you can, you, you really can market the property and, and get your, your contracted sales locked up and kind of prove the concept and, and effectively the exit price, right? So that, that's probably a very good thing from a lender perspective and a, and a financing perspective, yeah? Definitely. Those are two things that they, they asked to for us to do. Evaluation, a third party confirming the price that we're going to sell for and then a quantity survey estimating the construction cost. Because those are the two biggest numbers where you can go wrong or truly wrong. If maybe you're estimating a 25% bottom line, but after you get two very conservative, conservative numbers from a from a third, a third party, maybe you're only making, I don't know, 10%. And maybe due to that, they'll say no. So you need to make 15 to 20% in development in Australia on very conservative numbers. Nobody will, will lend to you otherwise. I see. Very insightful. Okay. Well, very good. So to kind of move the show on a little bit, and then we'll get to some questions, you know, the, a little bit more about you and your background. What, if I'm going to go become a developer or I'm investing in a developer, let's say that I have a lot of investors that listen to the show. If I'm going to be a private equity investor or become a developer, what sorts of market indicators and research do I need to be doing to figure out if a deal is a deal? Uh, look, I, 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 I'll tell you what our investors asked us. So uh, number one, they wanted to see uh, the valuation in the QS and then they sort of wanted, they had a lot of questions that all of them were around the same thing. How can I lose my money? So then I guess we need to, we needed to come up with, to explain to them what are the many ways in which they, they, they can lose their money. However, sort of showcase with data points that those scenarios are truly unrealistic. Like if, uh, if aliens come tomorrow, then yes, you might lose your money. Like if the property market decreases with, 35%, which it never did, then you will lose your money. So um, I guess 
the, the it's, it's quite interesting. The, I, I feel like you need to convince, show people how they can lose the money to have to be able to place your their, their trust in you, especially if what you're telling them is very unrealistic that they they they're actually maybe that's a one percent chance that they, they're actually going to uh, lose their money. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate all the insight, you know, from a developer perspective. So before we get into a couple of questions about you, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Should they like to, you know, invest in a deal or talk to you more about your experience or things of that sort or just chat development? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Look, on our website, herox.com.au, we have a free consultation. They can um, go there and make a, book, make a booking in my calendar and we can have a chat. I'm happy to help out, regardless if they might be able to, they might be interested to invest or not. I'm, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm the result of a lot of people giving a helping hand. So if I can help out with some advice, I'm always happy to do it. You know, Dan, I love that. Most people we have on the show and really most anyone who's successful in life is willing to give back because someone did it for them, right? So don't feel, don't be afraid to reach out. That consultation link will be in the show notes, folks. So just scroll right down and you should find it right there. So, okay. Are you ready, Dan? We have a couple of questions that I ask everyone on the show just to kind of get a little bit of a feel of, of some nuggets that you have in your past history. You ready? Let's do it. All right. So we've talked a lot today about why you're awesome, but I'm going to switch it up and take this one first. What's your biggest failure to date and what did it teach you? It's a good question. Look, I'll probably split it in two. Uh, 50% I'd say is the fact that I played tennis for a big part of my life and then my vision was was to always get to the top, and I really didn't. So tennis was the both the pro, probably the best thing that has happened to me, and also the one of the biggest uh, failures to a certain degree because I did I did my best to get somewhere and I didn't. So um, I'm very thankful that for the lessons that it taught me. And then I guess secondly is the first development was quite quite painful through through to the 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 money that we probably missed out on the bottom line that the bottom line that we missed out on due to inefficiencies due to people like this saying one thing delivering another yeah i guess when when you're look, losing 1000 10000 when you, you when when you start to feel like you you lost like i don't know hundreds of thousands in inefficiencies then i guess that that sort of um hits hard your maybe your 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 ego your your uh, yeah yeah no, i totally get it yeah, you're, you're, yeah. Just because you're saying, "Hey, if I could have done this better, that would have been more profit in my pocket." But now you know, right? And and you've only gotten better and tighter from there. I'm sure. Yes. Very good. Well, tell me real quick, what is your superpower in development, and uh, or you know, it really in business or your profession? But uh, let's go with development here. Uh, good question. So I think the best thing that uh, the thing that I'm the best at is definitely finding deals off the market. So I. I leverage a lot of data points to understand if a property has not sold for over 10 years, then there's a likelihood that it might be on the market in the next 10 years. So then having a chat today, door knocking, sending a letter is definitely a way to go. As in development, I guess it's very, in development and in investment as well, it's very important to make sure that you buy under market. And the way I see it, on the, if, you, if a property is listed online, then it's one seller that uh, and, and then I don't know ten to twenty buyers that are competing for this deal. Then it's very hard to get an under market result. If you if you're off the market is one seller, one buyer, and just may, need to make it work. And just need to think what their needs are and do like. My, my, I guess my negotiation is very simple. It's either their price, my terms, or my price, 
their terms. It's two offers always. That's pretty beautiful. I like the simplicity of it. Well, very good, Dan. So last question, you know, one of Quattro's four pillars is philanthropy. And we really enjoy when our guests come on with a philanthropic venture that they support, you know, in hopes that maybe some of our guests will support alongside of you. So help me understand where is your philanthropic heart at and where can our listeners support uh, alongside you? Yeah, look, we we started a charity. It's called Become a Hero Charity. Our website should be should be ready quite soon. And I guess we, we help in four directions. One, we help with shelter, which is in, currently in the shape of container homes for homeless people. We help with water wells in Africa. We help with food, which is in the, in the shape of sort of getting free food from restaurants and putting it in, in, in fridges. And then last, last but not least, we, we were trying, we're planning to help in the direction of education, getting some very successful people and doing sort of a gamified educational system. All of them are quite at the beginning. The only thing that we made a lot, a, lot, a bit of progress, a bit more progress was obviously in the water wells. I've, last year we built six water wells in Burundi. And also, also, I guess in the homeless space, I've helped a, a few people in the past with getting them off the streets. So I, I, the, the, the charity is just, I want to do a lot more in this direction. And I want to leverage other people's resources in order to do more impact. That is just incredible, Dan. I really appreciate you sharing that. And and folks, the links to those charities will be in the show notes as well. So just scroll down and and perhaps uh, if you feel so led, contribute alongside Dan and help him, you know, on his mission to better the world while he develops it. All right. So Dan, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise. We really haven't had a lot of development talk on this show, a lot more acquisition rehab here. So I appreciate it. And I hope to have you back on soon. Thank you, Chad. Thank you for the opportunity. This was, this was great. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. Until next time, over and out. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway podcast.